Welcome to Casey Cast, the Annie E. Casey Foundation podcast. Casey Cast is a monthly conversation focusing on how all of us can work together to build a brighter future for kids, families, and communities. I'm Lisa Hamilton, Vice President of External Affairs at the Foundation, and I'm so glad you've joined us for a hopefully inspiring and interesting conversation today. Casey Foundation focuses on giving kids what they need, strong families, vibrant communities, and financial stability. In these efforts, the Foundation is fortunate to work with innovators who develop, test, and implement solutions to help kids thrive. Each month, we'll bring you an in-depth conversation with one of these experts, right here on CaseyCast. In the United States, Few institutions have the power to catalyze change like the media. Journalists help give voice to the voiceless, hold leaders accountable, and highlight when things are broken in our public systems and society. Journalists also have a unique opportunity to share solutions in creating change. Today's guest, David Bornstein, works in newsrooms across the nation to help the media focus on how individuals and governments respond to problems. David is a writer and reporter and the co-founder of the Solutions Journalism Network. In addition to running the network, he also authors the Fixes column in the New York Times. It's my pleasure to welcome David to the podcast. Hi, David. Hey, Lisa. Well, I'd like to start with a pretty basic question. What is solutions journalism? Very simple. It's, um, it's a journalism practice that, that stresses the importance of reporting on responses to social problems, how people are responding to the problems uh, and, and the results that they're getting, and trying to elevate what we can learn from those responses. It's, it's not about hero worship or advocacy for particular ideas. It's really just looking at the creative activity in society that's in response to problems and and uh, and what's going on and what the results are and what we can which we can un- the insights that that can be conveyed from those stories. So, what led you to spearhead this movement for solutions focused journalism? Why why did it resonate so strongly with you? Well, like a lot of journalists, I've been a reporter for twenty five years. I mean, you know, it's it struck me uh, that you know the news really does cover, you know, predominantly problems and pathologies, and it gives a very distorted view. And over the course of my career, I've, I've come to focus more, I started very traditionally focusing on, on you know, the normal reporting of, of issues of the day, which was mainly problems. And over the past 25 years, I found that the stories that I found most, most powerful, had the, mo- had the most interesting ideas, were how people were trying to tackle these problems. And um, and so you, you end up having a very distorted view of the world, and it struck me that this is a real failing in journalism. Now, we, we've thought this, you know, my colleagues and I have thought this for a while, but it's really the crisis in the news business today, the fact that journalism is, is, is undergoing this profound transformation that has created the opportunity to, to change it in a fundamental way. Hmm. So we do see a competing narrative about what's going on in the country today, sometimes a sense of optimism and sometimes this narrative of decline. Based on what you are doing through solutions journalism, the solutions you're hearing about, does it give you a reason to feel hopeful? There's always reasons reasons for hope, and we, we, we use a phrase, uh, what we call hope with teeth, 
which is, you know, a credible sense of hope. You know, you, you, there, there's many ways of sort of looking at, you know, what's going wrong in the country, and we hear about that every day. You can talk about the economic problems, the problems that relate to health or violence or the school system or the politics. And in some cases, it's, it's very troubling. I mean, our politics is deeply troubling right now. Um, but the question is, how are we responding better to the, the, the problems across the country? How are communities trying to rebuild economic opportunity for groups that have, haven't had it or have had it and lost it? Um, how is the health system getting better? In what ways is it? Is it safer? Is it less safe than it used to be? Um, what dimensions of, of education are on the rise, particularly around preschool and things like that? You find that there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of reasons to be hopeful for certain areas. And at the same time, unless you are aware of the, the potential solutions around the country, you really can't hold institutions to account. You can't say our city should be doing better or our schools should be doing better because people always say, you know, people always give you excuses. Well, we're doing the best we can uh, and so forth, or they blame the victim or whatever, whatever, you know, gets them off the hook. But if you're able to show, well, wait a minute, there's another city, there's another school system, there's another hospital system that is outperforming you and they're doing so uh, with no more money than you have, it holds people accountable to a higher bar and it creates uh, uh, both a sense of uh, inspiration that it's possible to do better, but at the same time it creates a sense of real hard pressure that, that you cannot expect less. Hmm. And as you do this work, where do you see the source of these solutions coming from? We might imagine it would be the research community or public sector leaders. Um, who's coming up with these solutions? It's really across the board. You know, as journalists, we, we use many different kinds of sources to identify these stories. We hear we get a lot from academic research and from groups that are in the business of, of marshalling evidence and data to help you spot trends. Um, you know, there are, you know, organizations that are in the business of investing in solutions like foundations or, or places like policy shops that are in the business of sort of evaluating them. They're all great sources uh, of ideas. And then there's, you know, very often it's people in communities themselves, you know, saying, you know, something important is happening in our community, something important is happening in our school system. Or, or, or our hospital system or something like that. So, you know, like, like uh, a good journalist should have a whole variety of sources ranging from high-level uh, people in, in, in running institutions all the way down to people in the community who have, who have their eyes on the ground. And, um, you know, and, and it's, it, there's, there's just a lot of activity. There's people creating organizations, what, what, what we call social entrepreneurs. There's new... Uh, changes coming in the business sector in terms of better responses to a variety of issues, especially environmental issues. Um, public policy uh, changes are sometimes part of it, although sometimes public policy doesn't lead. It sometimes actually comes in in the later stage after something has been demonstrated effectively uh, from a nonprofit organization. So it's um, really there's many paths. Hmm. So you've written extensively on social entrepreneurship. Could you say a little about how you think um, that work contributes to the kinds of solutions that you uh, seek to lift up? Yeah, I think that there's a large spread in the world today of what I call the spread of agency. It's, it's a major trend. You know, just because of higher levels of education, the Internet, the, the exchange of information, the fact that money uh, flows 
more quickly and, and the young people uh, are able to hear about uh, and organize themselves, uh, not necessarily young people, but anybody, you have a lot of these kind of self-appointed freelance change agents who are out there saying, I'm going to go change the world and I'm going to start an organization or I'm going to you know, give, you know, get together and start a group and advocate for something. And so the field of social entrepreneurship, you know, has really taken off over the past 30 years because of these trends. And it's injected a lot of creative energy um, and problem solving uh, from new sources into the nonprofit sector, particularly, but in some cases into the business sector and government. Um, what I now realize is it's, it's really just one piece of a lot of um, adaptive changes that are happening in social change. But I, I think the biggest thing that the, that the social entrepreneurship movement has contributed is just this idea that it's possible to have a career that is basically a career of impact. You, you don't have to decide to sort of park your ideals, uh, you know, when you get your job because you need to make money to, to have a house and, 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 and to send your kids to college. Hmm. So you you described social entrepreneurs as sort of one source of the solution, but you also mentioned um, impacted communities themselves. And as we started this podcast, one of the things I noted is that we often hope that journalism will give voice to the voiceless. I'm wondering on the sort of other range of the the um, origin of solutions, um, how you're finding folks who are in communities um, coming up with solutions and, and how your work is giving them um, a different way to, to give voice to both the challenges and solutions they're developing. Yeah. Yeah, we're specifically working with news organizations. Some of them are quite big, uh, but some of them are, 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 are pretty small and they, are, they're, they have a strong community focus. And the, the question in, in these, in these um, projects is to, to find ideas that are already within the community uh, or in some cases to find ideas that are coming from a community that's similar to your community that could be helpful in solving um, a local problem or happening. So you, you see people, you know, for example, in, in Minneapolis and the Star Tribune, they're doing a, a series that's looking at um, how the Somali community is is developing its own, its own responses to the recruitment, uh, sort of the radicalization of youth, which has been a problem in that community that's been widely reported through a problem lens because of, and has created a lot of tensions um, in parts of in parts of Minnesota. But they're looking at the, the the homegrown solutions within the community. Similarly, we have a project with a bunch of small news organizations in New Mexico and Colorado, and they're looking at what are the uh, the solutions that are coming from these small rural communities vis-a-vis -vis things like economic opportunity. Uh, environment, uh, water management, uh, dealing with uh, drug use, and so forth. And um, you know, in, in some cases, uh, what you find is that there's people discover that their communities have hidden strengths and assets. But it turns out, through you know, uh, looking at the reporting of some of the other news organizations, this happens to be a collaborative reporting project. They're able to find that there are interesting models that could be applicable to their community, but they're a hundred miles away. A hundred miles away. And we find quite a lot, you know, we've seen Milwaukee look at Houston's policing system for mental health. We've looked, we've seen how Cleveland has looked at the way Rochester reduced lead paint um, exposure for children. Um, 
So this idea, we've, we've seen how the Seattle um, papers have looked at how, how schools in Chicago have done parent engagement to, to, to give parents more of a say in the running of the public schools. So this idea of hearing about ideas from another part of the country that might be five or ten years ahead of you on a particular issue so that you don't have to start without a blueprint. That's great. It sounds like a, an interesting approach to scale in some sense. You know, nonprofits are always trying to figure out how to take solutions to scale. And, and here's a, a really important way that uh, journalism can help to do that. So it's great to hear that you're you're seeing that cross-pollinization happen. Yeah, and, and it, it's it's exciting because, you know, there's this, there's this study that was done by the Institute of Medicine um, about 15 years ago, or more than that, 2001, where they said they found that it took 17 years for, on average, for evidence from randomized controlled trials about better processes in medicine to reach half of medical practice. Mm. So the curve of adaptation or the curve of innovation is pretty slow. And, you know, how do you speed that up? How do you make sure that good ideas, wherever they are, get into the water supply and can can be... Um, you know, sort of given a fair hearing in other communities. I think the news media, I mean, there's obviously trade journals, there's conferences, there's all sorts of ways to do that. But I think the news media can play a very powerful role uh, there as well. That's great. Well, I, I don't think there's a, a challenge uh, any more difficult for our country to deal with than uh, the issue of racial inequity. And I'm wondering if you have written about or, or uh, heard of uh, solutions to help communities grapple with this uh, persistent challenge? Yeah, you know, there's a lot of, I would say that there's a lot of the stories that our news partners have have looked at, have touched on that, but from many different angles. I mean, you have you have a whole dimension of, of reporting, looking at how we can help children grow up and be healthy. Um, and this might be making sure that the preschool programs are, are really working with children, who, who um, you know, who are getting sort of the best kindergarten preparation sort of thing. Um, so at the educational level, there's making sure that the on-ramps to opportunity are strong from, from day one. I mean, even going back to parenting programs and so forth. Um, then you can look at issues like, um, you know, what really creates economic mobility sort of later on. There's, there's a lot of interesting programs that are looking at, for example, uh, making sure that the community college systems really work to give people a leg up. I mean, I, I don't know if this is an exact statistic, but something like half of the students um, in our college system start their college in the community college system. It's, it, I might be overstating that, but it's a lot. Um, so, And oftentimes we've had lots and lots of data that shows that persistence is very low, um, largely students end up having to take courses that they don't get credit for and it costs them money and they get very discouraged with this remediation. There's a lot of people that are really trying to improve that system so that really is an on-ramp to higher education or to a better job prospects and so forth. So that's one example. Um, but then there's a lot of sort of examples of how communities are um, creating new new um, sort of economic opportunities that, uh, you know, that are sort of under the radar. I mean, there was pretty great article that James Fallows did in the Atlantic recently where he flew around the country in a plane and he found example after example after example of of, of city that was uh, reconstituting its, its, its economic livelihood in some way or another. Those kinds of stories are really great and we have you know people who are, who are looking to report on those stories as well uh, among our news partners. So 
So, so those kinds of things. You know, there, there's an organization, for example, called Welcoming America, which does this um, very well for immigrant groups, where they actually create welcoming committees, or they show cities how to create welcoming committees. And the basic issue is that diversity is hard. It, you actually need to intentionally create bridges so that people can learn um, that their fellow citizens are, you know, they can learn who they really are rather than getting these stereotypes or, or these caricatures that, that the media um, portrays them through these, this sort of lens of pathology. That's great. Well, it's great to hear that um, uh, their journalists are taking up this challenge seriously, not just of what solutions work, but how do you describe communities, how do you build bridges to other communities is, is really fantastic to hear. Um, I'm, I'm curious how the journalism community has received this notion of solutions journalism. How, how are news organizations and journalists taking this up? It's, you know, we've, uh, we've grown a lot. It's been sort of, um, I have to say the response has been uh, far more enthusiastic than we expected. We thought we would get a lot of defensiveness and we'd have a couple of partners, but every year it's just grown much faster than we thought. We, we probably have about 40 news organizations that have come to us over the transom just in the last couple of months. Um, so I think, you know, the response has been um, generally very positive. There are some people who... We still have to convince, and we say this is serious journalism. We're not talking about, um, you know, fluffy hero stories or PR or anything anything that journalists should legitimately be concerned about. We're talking about rigorous reporting. We have to keep on making it clear that just reporting on a response does not mean that you're a bad journalist or that you've fallen into advocacy. You can do this very well, and in fact, if you don't do it, you're almost by definition giving people a very biased uh, view of the world, one that's excessively cynical and is likely to lead them to tune out or disengage from public life more like more likely than it's going to lead them to re-engage in public life. So in some ways, it, it, the argument that we make to journalists is that you are actually creating a, a, an idea of the world, a fiction of the world that is both demonstrably false, excessively negative, and is leading people to actually, it's undercutting democracy. It's causing people to want to tune out and to focus more on private things than on public things. And to be excessively fearful, too, and vote in, vote in ways that, that they might not vote if they actually knew what the country was really like. And so how does the network go about um, supporting journalists and news organizations to do this work? So we, we go into news organizations only if we're invited. The editor, all, you know, editor-in-chief, the editor, the reporters have to want. And we do a, initially an orientation where we say this is what solution journalism is. We explain the basic idea of it, the approach, what's different about these stories, how do you find them, how do you report them, how do you make sure that you don't overclaim or fall into some of the traps. And then we work with them over sometimes a period of months, even sometimes up to a year, as they develop longer-term projects that are usually around their editorial goals. And then over time, we kind of try to help them build it into their muscle memory so that after a project is completed, they kind of get this. And it's, it's now something that they want to do on a repeat basis. And then we move on to another newsroom. And what we do is we've created this online network. We call it the Hub, uh, where journalists can sign up and kind of stay in the conversation and connect with other journalists or editors who are doing this. We have about 2,200 people who have signed up since May, and um, uh, more than 400 of them are editors. And then we populate that website with all sorts of tools 
you know, editor toolkits, toolkits if you cover education. Um, we have 1,500 stories that are all cataloged from news organizations around the world. So you can see this is the kind of journalism that others are doing. You could, if you're interested in prison, you type in prison on our story trackers, you'll probably get, you know, 80 or 90 stories that look at how American communities, mainly American communities, are responding to the the, the need today to uh, to reform the prison system, the justice system. So um, so it's both a great way to learn, hear ideas from what other journalists are doing, get ideas for your own reporting, find out about research. And then over time, we, we, we plan on adding more and more tools to help journalists do this work. Interesting. Well, it's, it's great to hear that uh, people are responding positively and for you to have that many people um, join your hub so quickly certainly indicates there's a, a demand for this approach. I'm wondering um, what does success look like for you? How do you imagine the media will be different in the future if we focus more on solutions? So I think that once people begin to get a view of reality that's more what we call the whole story, that's more comprehensive and, and more, 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 more faithful to reality, um, people will begin to see that, in fact, all you know, this view of the country that you get, this, this distorted image, is, is really it's like, a, it's, like a, it's like a photoshopped image of a landscape where people have arbitrarily taken out 90% of the trees, you know, and it's not... What we're looking at, and we call America, when you when you watch CNN or, or any of you know any, almost any news organization, is really a very it's a very biased and distorted image. And once people begin getting the whole story and they see how much creative problem solving is out there, it, I think it's going to affect people in a lot of ways. It will make our policy better. It will probably lead more people into careers where they want to join up with the creative ideas that they see happening because people genuinely love solving problems. And, and I think it will probably lead people to, to vote and be and participate in ways that are um, more in line with their optimism and their 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 yearning to to build a better society and less in line with their fears and their anxieties. I think that's certainly an exciting vision for what uh, not just journalism looks like in the future, but what our country uh, looks like in the future. So thank you so much for what you are doing uh, to promote this new approach to uh, journalism. And we look forward to seeing how the future of uh, solutions journalism unfolds. Thank you so much for being with us today. Well, thanks for the opportunity, Lisa. Great. And I want to thank our listeners for joining as well. If you've enjoyed today's conversation, rate our podcast on iTunes to help others find us. To learn more about our podcast and find notes for today's show, visit us online at www.aecf.org slash podcast and follow the Casey Foundation on Twitter at AECF News. Until next time, I wish all of America's kids and all of you a bright future.